Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Let's open up our Word, John 14. It's also at the top of your bulletin. John 14, verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 14, 13. Ron, thanks for doing our, our reading today. John Johnson came to this church before I did, and he went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ before I have. Uh, many of you probably don't know John, but John had a difficult life. I, I don't know how he ended up there, but I know he was raised in a boy's home without his own parents, his own family in Nebraska. He served in the Marine Corps, as you can tell by the jacket he's wearing there. And he had a number of health issues later in life, uh, struggles in life, uh, a loss of an adult son in life, and he died of a heart attack on January 28th. And I think John must have been so glad when he entered the presence of Christ. I mean, we all will be, but he had such a difficult life, but he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to pray for... Um, his children left behind, his loved ones left behind, his family left behind, and we want to rejoice that John now is safely and joyfully in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Our beautiful Savior, we are so great, so grateful that you have saved us from sin and death. And Lord, we experience a little bit of what that means in this life when our guilt has been removed, when the turmoil in our souls is replaced with your peace. But Lord, that is just a taste of the beauty we will have for all eternity because of what you've done for us, because you are our Savior. And Lord, we rejoice that our brother in Christ, John Johnson, is now with you. He's been set free of a body that has been weak, and damaged a soul that also has been weak and damaged and he has been made perfect and for that we thank you lord we do pray your comfort your blessings on children left behind family left behind friends left behind that will be grieving this temporary loss until we're united again and lord as we pray others are reminded of their losses and we pray for us to continue to have your peace and your anticipation of being united with our loved ones once again. And we thank you, Lord, that we have that hope. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us to draw other people into your kingdom so they too would know Christ and spend eternity with you. Lord, for our loved ones that are ill right now, we ask for you to bless them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And Lord, we just pray now as we look at your word that the Holy Spirit would speak words to us through your word and through me as a channel, that Christ himself would be magnified by what we learn today. And we ask all these things in that beautiful saving name of Jesus. Amen.
One day a farmer was making rounds on his farm and he had been in the barn for a while and he came out of the barn and as he came out he heard a child's voice and that was kind of unusual and so he started listening to see where it was coming from and he followed the sound to behind his barn and there he saw a, a little boy and the little boy was kneeling down with his eyes closed, his hands folded and he was reciting the alphabet over and over again. Well, the farmer watched out of curiosity for a little bit, and, and then finally he wanted to figure out what was going on, so he <clears throat> kind of cleared his throat and got the little boy's attention, and he said, little boy, what are you doing? And the little boy said, well, I'm praying. And the farmer very gently and politely said, but little boy, that, that isn't a prayer, that's the alphabet. <laughs> and the little boy said, oh, I know that. But the preacher said that God knows what we need. And I don't know how to pray, so I thought I'd just pray the alphabet and let God put it together in the kind of prayer that I should pray. <laughs> it's a cute story, but it also has a very powerful lesson that we could miss as adults that this little boy seemed to understand. I don't know if you caught it. If you look at your outline today, it's available online on the PDF icon. It's also available by the door as you came in. If you didn't get one yet, feel free to jump up and grab one. But the first thing that we want to see, and we actually learn from this story of the little boy, is that effective prayer is about your heart, not your words. Effective prayer is about your heart, not your words. If you are expecting to get a yes answer to prayer, it's more important what your heart has in it than the words that you actually speak. You, you probably have experienced this yourself or had a friend that experienced this, that as a new Christian, someone might have asked you to pray, and maybe it was in a large gathering or even just a small gathering around a table, and someone said, would you pray? Or you asked a new Christian to pray, and they said something like, well, I don't know how to pray. Well, what you really are saying when you say that is, I don't have the words. I don't know what words I'm supposed to say. But effective prayer is not about the words. Effective prayer is about your heart. I mentioned last week that in my version of the New American Standard Bible, it's, it's so old that all the prayers in it are still in what we call the King James English, the Old English. The these and the thous and the, the wilts and the shants and the, the cants and the dos and things like that. But what perhaps most of you don't remember because you're too young, but if you're old enough, you'll remember that Christians, at least when I was growing up, used to resort to King James English when they prayed, at least in the Baptist church I grew up in. So when you prayed, you used these and thous and thys and cants and things like that. And I remember my own father, you know, he, he'd go to prayer and all of a sudden we had these and thous and, you know, thys and things like that. And it was a Baptist church, so I guess you could call that the Baptist prayer language, you know? So we had our own prayer language in, in King James English. But effective prayer is not about the English you use. It's about your heart. It's not the words, per se. And this lesson is found not only in the illustration that I gave you a little boy, but it's found in the teachings of Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is found in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the book of Matthew. That's one of the places it's found. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus went up on a hill, probably not really a mountain, but he was in northern Israel, in Galilee, near Capernaum, where he'd made uh, the city of Capernaum his home. And he was up there, and he began to teach outdoors publicly, 
And someone said, if you actually read 5, 6, and 7, the sermon is only about 13 minutes long. So it's about half of what my sermons are. <laughs> um, maybe a third of what some of my sermons are. But in 13 minutes, he gave this sermon. And we're going to pick up just a, a, a snippet of it in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 8. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about prayer. And he says in verse 5, And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. So if you want to know if you're a hypocrite... Um, he describes it. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners. Why? In order to be seen by men. So here we see their heart is wrong. The issue here is their heart. It's not their words. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. The reason they're praying, what's in their heart, is to impress others, and the reward is now. Not from God, but from men. But, here's our contrast, that great word, but when but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition, as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So they think prayer is about words. It's not. Jesus says, don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need. That's your heart. Before you ask Him, those are your words. And I think it's important that we note here, because some people say, oh, does that mean we're not supposed to repeat prayers? We're not supposed to have a, a book of prayers and repeat prayers. Jesus didn't say that. Notice He said, meaningless repetition or in some versions, it says vain repetition. It's not wrong to pray the same thing over and over again. In fact, when you hear about Jesus praying all night before he selects his 12 disciples, he had to be praying the same thing over and over again. I mean, how many thing, ways can you say, Lord, guide me into picking the 12 disciples if you do it all night? There's repetition. He's not against repetition. Notice what he says. He says he's against meaningless or vain repetition. And it's interesting that right after he says that, in verse 8, he says, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. And then verse 9, Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. Then he gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer, because he, he gave it to the disciples to pray. And many churches pray this prayer repeatedly. Well, there's nothing wrong with praying it repeatedly unless your heart is not in it, unless you're not thinking about what you're praying. There's no magic to just saying the words, as Jesus makes clear in this passage. It's the words with a heart that are effective, not words without a heart. You see, it's much better to pray with a heart and no words than to pray words with no heart. And the Apostle Paul teaches us the same thing in Romans chapter 8. And of course, we would expect this, that we should see this repeated in the Scripture. And Romans 8, the last half of Romans 8, as you may recall, is talking about suffering. And the Apostle Paul starts off in chapter 8, verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I just think about John Johnson that I mentioned earlier. And this life was a life of suffering for him. But the amount of suffering he had 
is like a thimble compared to the glory he's experiencing, which is like a vast ocean or space. So the context is suffering in chapter 8, and the Apostle Paul tells us that all of creation in verse 22 is groaning as, as the pains of childbirth. So creation groans. But then he tells us in verse 23, we're groaning. And so if you're going, oh man, that's just so tough. Well, that's biblical. And you'll discover the older you get, the more you groan. <laughs> oh, ah, mm, that's biblical. And then verse 26, we find out not only is creation groaning, not only are we groaning and suffering, the Holy Spirit groans with us. The Holy Spirit suffers. Verse 26, this is where we're going to pick it up, 826 of Romans. And in the same way, the same way we all groan, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also helps our weaknesses. For notice, it says, for we do not know how to pray as we should. We don't know the right words. None of us do. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. It's interesting. Even the Holy Spirit is groaning here, and his groaning is, is more than just words. And he who searches the hearts, that's what's in your heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so we see the emphasis here, whether it's your heart and mind or the Holy Spirit's heart and mind, the key is what's in our heart and mind, not the specific words, because sometimes we just don't have the words. I was both the chaplain and the friend of a young man on our ship who had tragically been struck by a car in a parking lot. He was in the ICU. His mom was by his side, his sister. They had come to celebrate his 21st birthday. And he was brain dead, and they were getting ready to unplug everything. And I'm by his side and I'm overwhelmed with grief. And so are his mom and his sister. I knew this young man, and he, he knew the Lord. But what do you say? How do you pray? And we just groaned before the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to intercede for us because we didn't have the words. And you've been there. Well, your grief is so heavy, your loss is so great, you don't know how to pray. You can't pray, but you are praying as you go before the Lord, and He knows what's in your heart. The Spirit helps our weakness, the passage says, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us, and notice, with groanings, He comes alongside us and groans with us, with groanings too deep. Words. Effective prayer is about your heart. It's not about your words. Today's sermon is entitled Getting More Yes Answers to Prayer. Getting More Yes Answers to Prayer. And I thought that was fitting after last week's sermon, which was Why Does God Say No? And you'll recall last week, why does God say no? We talked about three reasons that God says no. It may not cover every single situation, perhaps. But the first reason we saw last week is because it's better for you if God says no. There's some things we ask for that aren't good for us. And, of course, God knows that, so he says no. 
A second reason that God says no is it's better for others. Because when we pray, it's not all about us. It's also about other people. And God says no to us because it's better for someone else if God says no. That's the second reason. And the third reason God says no, we saw last week, is because it's better for God. Ultimately, we should want what God wants. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. And so He answers no because it's better for God. But another aspect to why God might say no to you is because you're praying all wrong. You actually might be doing it all wrong, and that's why you're not getting the right results. If you hope to have a yes answer, you need to be praying as the Scriptures tell us to pray. And the first thing that we've seen is that effective prayer is about your heart It's not about your words. And if you just think you can multiply words over and over again, or if you can just recite a rote prayer over and over again without thinking about it, that is worthless, Jesus says. It's worthless. Jesus' half-brother, James, warns us, however, that just putting your whole heart into a prayer doesn't mean you're going to get a yes answer. That's where you start. You have to put your whole heart into it. But that doesn't mean you're going to get a yes just because you put your whole heart into it. Let's see what James says. James chapter 4, verse 3. He's talking about prayer. And in James chapter 4, verse 3, James says, You ask and do not receive. So this is a prayer, and you don't get what you wanted. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. He doesn't say you use the wrong words. He says your heart's wrong. Wrong motives. What are the wrong motives? So that you may spend it on your pleasures, that you may spend it on your pleasures. You make it all about you. It's a selfish prayer. Just because you really, 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 really want it, you're really sincere, you really pour out you, to God your heart, you fast, you plead, you weep, doesn't mean you're going to get a yes. So here's our second lesson this morning, number two, your motive for praying is key. Your motive for praying is key. Yes, you have to have your heart in it, but your heart has to have the right motive. As I mentioned last week, God is not a cosmic genie. He's not someone we just go to and we give him three wishes and we're guaranteed to get those three wishes. We, we saw this modeled by Jesus himself last week where Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he shares with the Father his wish. And his wish is that this cup, the crucifixion, would pass by. That he wouldn't have to be crucified for our sins. That was his desire. And so he shares his heart with his father. And the father answers no to that. But the rest of the prayer, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus prays that the father will be glorified. And so his motive in prayer was the glorification of the father. And so really, we could say his prayer got a yes. In some ways, he didn't get what he wanted. In some ways, he did. Because ultimately, he said, here's what I personally want, but overall, Father, I want your will and your glory. And so when God looks at our prayers, he looks at our motives. And we have to be careful that we don't go before God and just demand that God answer our prayers. When your four-year-old wants an ice cream cone, how they ask can make a big difference. 
I want it, I want it, I want it. Give me an ice cream cone. And they stomp their feet and they weep and everything. If you're a mature parent, <laughs> you hopefully will say no or later. You don't give it to them because they're whining and complaining. But if your four-year-old comes to you and says, would it be okay if I have an ice cream cone? And you say, after dinner? And they say, that would be great. <laughs> then you have a very unique four-year-old. <laughs> God looks at our motives, but he also looks at whether we want to please him with our prayer requests. And a parent finds pleasure in buying an ice cream cone for a child who's not whiny. Not much pleasure in it when they're whining. It's okay to pray for things you want. As long as you also want God to answer according to what He wants. Because it's not all about you. And I think this is the key to understanding the oft misunderstood phrase, in Jesus' name. Jesus told his disciples that they would get yes answers to prayer if they prayed in Jesus' name. But those words, in Jesus' name, are not just a magic formula. They're not just a tagline that you put at the end of your prayer. Like if you pray and forget to put that on, you get a no. If you pray and put that at the end, you get a yes. Well, that's absurd. That's not what Jesus meant at all. It, it, but the church has come to the point where we kind of treat it like a magical formula, kind of like saying abracadabra at the end of our prayers, and then we get what we want. And I looked up abracadabra, and did you know that abracadabra comes from the Aramaic, and the words are abracadabra, and that means I will create as I speak. And I thought, oh my goodness, that sounds like the modern word of faith movement, that I can speak it into existence, abracadabra. Well, that's not what in Jesus' name means. I've mentioned in previous sermons and just recently in our theology lecture series that to the Hebrew mind, name means character or nature. And so when Jesus says pray in his name, his first century listeners immediately knew what he meant. We may not understand in the 21st century, but they knew he was saying, you have to pray in my character. You have to pray a kind of prayer that I would pray, and you get a yes. You pray in my nature. And isn't it interesting how ironic it is, really, that the devil has twisted this phrase in Jesus' name, so we make it a magic formula, so we get what we want, and we make it about us. When Jesus is saying in Jesus' name is about him that we're praying and we want what he wants. We have his character and nature in mind. We're not just saying abracadabra at the end of our prayers. My cousin Chip followed me into seminary at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was a few years behind. And after he graduated, he became a pastor of a church in Dallas, Texas. And he was so concerned about how people misuse in Jesus' name, they just tack it on the end of prayer almost without, without even thinking what it means, that he decided he would no longer end his public prayers in the church with the phrase, in Jesus' name. And so he started praying, his whole heart, sincerely, filled with the Spirit, but he didn't tag on in Jesus' name. One Sunday, a lady came up to him and said, uh, Pastor Chip, I'm no longer going to be attending this church because you do not pray in Jesus' name. Well, what she's saying is you don't say abracadabra at the end of your prayers. 
She totally had misunderstood what the phrase means. And perhaps you have too, I had for many years. Which brings us to our third principle, which helps us understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So when your children ask you at lunch today, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? I want you to have a good answer. Number three, I'm going to give you part of it now and the rest of it a little bit later. Pray in the character of Jesus. Pray in the character of Jesus for the glory of the Father. Pray in the character of Jesus for the glory of the Father. That's what it means to pray in his name. Jesus made a promise to his disciples that I believe is also a promise to you and me, and that's in John 14, 13, the passage that was read earlier, but isn't it interesting that we often quote the first half of the verse and not the second half? He says in John 14, 13, the first half, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. But there's more to the verse. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You can't claim the first half without the second half. It's not about you getting what you want. It's about you getting what the Father wants. And when you pray in the character of Jesus, you are praying that the Father may be glorified. But how can you know what that is? How can you truly pray in the character of Jesus for the glory of the Father in order to get a yes answer? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us on this one in Ephesians chapter 6. But I first want to remind you what he says in chapter 5. We're going to look at 6.18, but we have to understand 5.18, because remember, when Paul wrote this, he had no chapter divisions, no verses. He expected you to read this all together as one thought. And in 5.18, we're told that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this church, the acronym D-A-Y, helps us desire, ask, yield. You desire to be filled, you ask to be filled, and you yield to the filling Holy Spirit. And so he says, once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're prepared to pray. So 5.18 leads to 6.18. Now let's look at Ephesians 6.18. 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. So notice, all, 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 in the Spirit, with this in view. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, some well-meaning but misguided Christians think that you have to have a special prayer language at this point, and this is a unique time, a unique prayer. Well, that's not what he's saying, because he says you use this language all the time in every prayer. And what does it mean to have a Spirit-led prayer? Well, he's already indicated this in 518. It means to be filled with the Spirit. And so he's saying, when you pray, make sure you are filled with the Holy Spirit at all times when you pray. Which gives us the last part of our principle number three. You pray in the character of Jesus for the glory of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. That is Spirit-filled praying. And notice, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit involved. We have the Holy Trinity involved in this. So that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And it might be helpful for us when we end a prayer, instead of saying, in Jesus' name, which is a good thing to say if you, you know what it means, we might want to say, Lord, I pray this prayer in the character of Jesus, for the glory of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those are the prayers that get a yes. 
because you've been guided by God to pray this way. It is a partnership. God wants to partner with you to get things done. Why? I have no idea. But he does. He thinks it's really important to pray to you. And some things don't happen unless you pray, unless I pray. And that's the way he set it up. But he says you have to pray in the character of Jesus, for the glory of the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit. After my dad retired from over 36 years uh, in the U.S. Navy, my parents were living here out at Barbers Point area, and they retired, and they had a house in San Diego. So they moved to San Diego, back into that house. But my dad had a car here that he wanted shipped to San Diego, and I still lived here. I worked here in Kailua, not this church, but another church. And so my dad wanted me to ship his car for him on a Navy vessel. So I needed a power of attorney in order to act on behalf of my father. So he went to the lawyer. He got a power of attorney so I could act in his name for his purposes on his behalf to ship his car. And when he went to the lawyer, he said, I want a power of attorney. And the lawyer said, well, you need to get a specific power of attorney just for transporting the car. And my dad goes, no, just give me a general power of attorney. And the lawyer was horrified. He goes, no, you don't understand. If you give this like general power of attorney, your son not only has access to your car, he has access to your home. He, he owns your bank account. He acts for you. And my dad goes, that's fine. I trust my son. And so they gave me this power of attorney. I could have used it any way I wanted. And I used it to ship dad's car in his name to fulfill my father's will. And he was glorified. <laughs> and that, my friends, I believe, illustrates what praying in Jesus' name means. We have been given a power of attorney in Jesus' name. But that doesn't give us the license to misuse it. We operate in his character for the will of the Father. Praying in the name of Jesus for the glory of the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see the Father say yes. Would you pray with me? As our head are bowed, heads are bowed and eyes closed, um, people watching online, and I include you as well in this prayer. If you're listening and you've never invited Jesus to come into your life and to save you from your sin and give you eternal life, the one prayer that's most important for you to pray then is to pray to be saved. If you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he rose from the grave, he conquered death, I invite you right now to invite Jesus to come into your heart and save you. The exact words are not so important, the heart is. Do you want Jesus there? Let him know. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us this amazing opportunity, this amazing tool to accomplish the will of the Father on earth as it is in heaven. You've given us prayer. Lord, help us to use it and not abuse it. Help us to pray spirit-filled prayers for the glory of the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.